This is the Southwest Christadelphian Bible School, 17th of July, 1998, Class 5. Our speaker is Brother John Martin. His subject is, Let Him That Thinketh He Standeth. Today's title is, These Things Were Our Examples. Morning, my dear brothers and sisters, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Just a bit nervous about these pickpockets. Well, brethren and sisters, we've been considering, haven't we, this matter of meat offered unto idols, and we've seen uh, the categories that the ecclesia had fallen into of the weak and the strong. And the weak were those who were sensitive about the fact, as they saw at any rate, that that was offered unto an idol, and that, and being conscious of that idol, they uh, they wouldn't touch it. There were the others, of course, who who were quite convicted and they were rightly convicted that an idol was nothing in the world therefore it was innocuous and the meat was quite okay and the apostle has been dealing brothers and sisters with the interreaction between those two classes and although we haven't got meat often offered unto idols today in that sense the principles here brothers and sisters he is he's dealing with are eternal principles and we do have our petty divisions in the ecclesias today and people wanting to make issues out of non-issues and we need to know how to handle that and there's I think there's been a great lesson in all of this for us as we've considered this section but as we've said brothers and sisters as his argument proceeded we find that the weak become strong and the strong become weak simply because the timidity of the weak not to go near that idolatrous sacrifice was their defense it became their defense. And the flaunting of the strong, of their intellectual privilege to partake of it, led them into great danger, brothers and sisters. And now the argument will turn, particularly in this 10th chapter, and be directed straight between the eyes of the strong. And we, we, we ended up, of course, seeing that Paul was all things unto all men except the strong. He would not adopt their attitude because it was dangerous. It was dangerous in two ways. It was dangerous to their weak brother and unbeknown to them, it was extremely dangerous to themselves. And it's ever been the case, brothers and sisters, with those who adopt such brittle attitudes and, and hard attitudes and attitudes that do not take into account the, 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 the uh, effects upon God's people and they themselves in the end suffer because of that. Now we need to know this before we ever start 1 Corinthians 10. We need to appreciate this, that the experts tell us, those who have studied the, the background to Corinth and, and these matters which went on there, they tell us this, that up on that mountain, the Acro Corinthus, uh, where those thousand priestesses were in that temple of the Aphrodite, which of course was temple come restaurant type of thing, we need to know this, that they tell us that the meal they served up there was very much similar to the memorial feast of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you may think that's awful to say that, but I'm just talking about the form of the meeting. In the sense that we go, brothers and sisters, to partake of a sacrificial meal which is served with bread and wine. Well, up there, they served a meal which to them being offered unto their idol was a sacrificial meal and they served it with bread and wine. Ostensibly, there were great similarities in what was going on up there with what was going on in the memorial feast. And you watch the apostle, not only this morning, but tomorrow morning in particular, he will bring that to very sharp focus. But now, brothers and sisters, he wants to warn uh, these people who thought they had great privileges uh, that they were in grave danger in flaunting those privileges, uh, not only to the weak, but to themselves. Now just notice uh, the overall tenor of these words from verses 1 uh, down to about verse 10 in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now notice what he says. That he says, all our fathers were under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were all baptized unto Moses. They did 
all eat the same spiritual food. They did all drink the same spiritual drink. Everybody had privileges. Everybody was involved in the wonderful privileges. But in verse 5, with many of them, God was not well pleased. The greater majority, brothers and sisters, fell in the wilderness. Why? Because verse 7, some of them did this, and verse 8, some of them did that, and verse 9, some of them did this, and verse 10, some of them murmured. And isn't that true of ecclesial life? Every brother and sister who is baptised into Christ has equal privilege. We are all partakers of the privileges of the truth. And brothers and sisters, we don't know, do we, whether we'll be in the kingdom of God, but sadly we know that not all of us are going to be in the kingdom because some will do that, some will do this, some will do that, and some will do that. And what the Apostle Paul is going to show us, brothers and sisters, that we shouldn't take our privileges for granted and we should watch in ecclesial life because... There are many traps into which we can fall. And he's going to tell these people that all these things happened unto them for types. That is, what happened in the wilderness was typical of God's ecclesia. But brothers and sisters, I want to make this point, and I want to show you this as we go through. This is absolutely fantastic what he does with this. Because you see, when it says all these things happened unto them for types, it is legitimate that we apply them to the ecclesia of all time. But... In this chapter, Paul's going to show that those four things, the four examples he's going to give of Israel, as far as the Corinthian situation was concerned, were types. In this sense, they fitted like a hand in a glove that was exactly the same. It's remarkable how he's able to bring to bear those incidents in the wilderness and say, hey, you're doing exactly that. Talk about types. It couldn't have fitted tighter than what it did to the Corinthian situation. Now that's the overall view of these first 14 verses which we intend to deal with this morning. Now brothers and sisters, they were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea and so they were immersed, you see, weren't they? They were totally immersed in water. And he says they were all baptised into Moses. Moses was their leader at that time. He was the one who was typical of the Lord Jesus Christ that God had said later on to him he would raise up a prophet like unto him. And Moses was typical of Christ. And we're not going to turn references up this morning because I've got so many of them to refer to. But you know the story of them and, and you'll be familiar with them. But you know in Hebrews 11, brothers and sisters, it says there about the people of faith, it says concerning Moses, by faith he kept the Passover. He did. Then it goes on and says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. Isn't that interesting? By faith, he kept the Passover. And by faith, they passed through the sea. Isn't that true? Because you see, we didn't keep the Passover in that sense. Or, or we keep it in the sense that we participate in it. But there's only one man who kept the Passover because he was the Passover. And our Lord Jesus Christ was the sacrifice. We had nothing to do with that. He made that. But we pass through the waters of baptism and become associated with him. We're baptised into Christ. So Moses kept the Passover and they passed through the sea. Well, Paul says in Hebrews chapter 11, very interesting the way that that is done. And so they were baptised into Moses. And in the Greek, brothers and sisters, as the Greek has these peculiar tenses in it, which are not in the English language, uh, the Greek has this tense of the middle voice which one does something to oneself for oneself and here they, it really says and they all immerse themselves they all immerse themselves they, they, were, they were volunteers for this they passed through the sea 
Jesus made an offering for us when we were yet sinners. But when we go through the waters of baptism, it's our choice. We decide that and we accept the offer that is made and we pass through that sea, as it were, and we are all immersed ourselves into that covenant relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have that great privilege. Now verse 3 says, they did all eat the same spiritual meat. And by meat, of course, he, he means food. And the food referred to, brothers and sisters, was the manna. They all had that. It rained down from heaven and it came, it formed upon the earth in the early morn and up you got in the morning and if you were too late, the sun melted it. But the privilege was theirs for you, for, for the taking, if you were going to be alert enough to take it. It was your, all of them had that privilege. Not all brethren and sisters eat the manna because they're too late. They're too late. Indolence, indifference and apathy, brothers and sisters, will find the manna gone. And we know what happened. They went out and gathered it and said, every man according to his eating, and the very word which is chosen for the, for the way they gathered it in the Hebrew means the word. You know that? Isn't that incredible? That the word for gathering the manna means the word. And that's what the manna is. It's our daily readings. And if we're less than alert, they'll disappear. We may go through a, a, a formal reading of them, but they'll mean nothing to, the, to people who are not alert. Just like the sun melted that, brothers and sisters, and those who didn't get out didn't get it early. But the privilege is there for everyone to take off. When they saw it, they, they called it manna. And we know what that means. It means, what is it? What is it? You know, brothers and sisters, it was the word. Wouldn't it be awful if I'd come all the way from Australia to lead the studies and I opened up my Bible and I said, I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, I, I really, what is it? I have nothing to say because I don't know what it is. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, your fathers that eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. And he said, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. This is the bread in which he said it came down from heaven, which if a man eat, he will live forever. And they said, who are you? What is it? This is Joseph's son. They didn't see what it was. It was Look, not only did he fulfill the type of the manna, they fulfilled the type of Israel's reaction. Who is he? Who is this son of man, they said. They never had a clue. And there was the type of the manna, brothers and sisters. It was a tragic thing, wasn't it? And there were the three types of manna. There was the manna that corrupted if you kept it beyond 24 hours. There was the manna in which the process of corruption was suspended to keep the Sabbath on the weekend. And there was a little bit of manna laid up in the ark, in the golden pot that never corrupted, answering perfectly to the to the phases of the Lord's life. He came in our corruptible nature, just like we are. But when he died, brothers and sisters, because corruption is in the world through lust, and he did not lust, God did not allow that body to corrupt over the weekend. And now he's preserved in heaven itself. Pure gold in the sense of his nature, and now, brothers and sisters, he's incorruptible. And so he was in every sense that food in the wilderness and it's our privilege to take of that and we've got to be up early brothers and sisters to benefit from that manna and you know it's interesting but in Exodus 16 and verse 16 which is easy to remember, remember isn't it? 16 16 it, it says they they gathered an omer for every man they gathered an omer which is a basic measure for every man. And the three words, for every man, are one word in the Hebrew, and the word is Golgotha. Golgotha. But you say, but that means the place of a skull. Yes, that's right. 
only because, brothers and sisters, it's, it comes from a root word meaning to be round. And it's only wet, rendered once in the Old Testament, skull. And the numerous occasions other than it appears, it's to be numbered. Israel were numbered by their poles. P-O-double-L-S. Hebrew, Golgotha. And you'll see a marginal reference in Exodus 16 and 16. For every man, margin, Hebrew, poles, which is Golgotha. And Jesus tasted death for every man. And he was crucified when John said, in a, in a place called in the Hebrew tongue Golgotha, he went on the next verse to say that one on one side and one on the other side and Jesus in the middle. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And so the manner, brothers and sisters, spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. It spoke of him as the representative man that in whom if we eat and become associated with him, we'll be numbered with him and participate in all the great benefits that accrue from that. Well, says Paul, they all had that typical privilege. But it didn't benefit them all. Now he said they all did drink that same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now we may or may not be familiar with the typical aspect of those rocks. I left my transparencies home, and Brother Peter was kind enough to give me a blank transparency and a, a pen to, uh, to inscribe the, you know, the type of the rocks on here, and I'm ashamed to put it up. It's such a dreadful job I've made of it. And it won't fit anyway because I wrote it too wide and it sticks out over the side. So I'm going to have to tell you about it. Thanks, Peter, for your, for your help at any rate, even if it was in vain. But, but the thing is, brothers and sisters, that there was a great type in these rocks, wasn't there? And, and how did it follow them? Well, you see, if you had a map of the peninsula of Sinai, the first rock was just before at Rephidim here, just after they left Egypt. And the last rock was up here at Kadesh Barnea, right on the borders of the Promised Land. So they, they, there was a rock at the beginning and a rock at the end. And Kadesh Barnea means the sanctuary of the wandering sun. And it was at Kadesh Barnea that the first greenery of the land began to appear. And the sight of the land was there and the promise of the land was there as the contours of the land changed and the verdure got a bit greener there, the sanctuary of the wandering sun, and there was a rock here and a rock there. That rock followed them, you see, from beginning to end in that sense. But look at the difference. And on the first occasion at Rephidim, when the people murmured, and they all had these privileges, says Paul, on the first occasion uh, when the people murmured that they did not have water, and Moses was told to take the rod wherewith thou smotest the river. And you trace that one where Exodus chapter 4 says that's the one that turned into a serpent. And when Moses took it by the tail, it turned back into a rod. So it had the symbol of the serpent in it. But Jesus took hold of that rod, brothers and sisters, but not like Moses. He took it by the tail. Jesus whacked it on the head. But by the bit as it may, it had that symbolism with it, the serpent rod. And then he was told to take the elders of Israel. And he was to go to this rock and he was to smite the rock. And the rock in question, the Hebrew word zer, T-Z-U-R, means a rock, a big boulder in the earth. This huge rock in the earth. And he was to smite that rock which was embedded in the earth the elders of Israel were to be with him and he was to have this serpent rod. And we know that's the crucifixion, don't we? Because it was the elders of Israel who Jesus called a generation of vipers who came and smote that rock with the Romans, procured his death, and it was the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth manifesting the rock-like characteristics of his father. That's what it was. And when they pierced his side, out forthwith came blood and water. And so there was the spiritual drink, brothers and sisters, for all those who want to partake of it. And those two symbolic things that came out of his side were symbols of how his bride 
is built and nourished. Adam's side was pierced to produce his counterpart. And Paul tells us that there's two things got to be done by the husbands if they want their wives to be faithful counterparts. They've got, to, they've got to sacrifice for them blood and wash them with the word. They're both in Ephesians 5. And when a husband is prepared to sacrifice himself for his wife's sake and to help her in the word and to wash her with the word, he can reasonably expect that she should develop into his counterpart. And so you see, that, that was all done, brothers and sisters, as a wonderful privilege. They all had that. But on the second occasion, that was marred. On this occasion, Moses is, t- is told to take the rod before Yahweh. Which was that? That was not the one that turned into a serpent. That was the one that sprang into life to produce fruit, to produce almonds, to determine which, who would be the priest. It was the rod of resurrection. And this time he was not to take the elders of Israel, he was to take Aaron thy brother. And he was the high priest. And he was told to go and speak to the rock, not to hit it. And this time the rock was not Zer, it was Selah, a high and lofty crag. Look at the difference. No serpent power now, but the resurrection of the dead. Not the generation of vipers and the elders of Israel, but the great high priest. No longer to crucify the Son of God, but to speak to him in prayer. No longer the manifestation of God on the earth, but the manifestation of God altogether at his right hand. Look at the difference. And Moses lost his temper. He lost his temper. And when you lose your temper, you lose your reason. And when the people complained, he, he was so exasperated, brothers and sisters, he, he just blew his top. Must we fetch water out of this rock? Bang, bang, he went. And he was not told to hit it. And he wasn't fetching the water out of the rock. He spake inadvisedly with his lips, says the psalm. It was God that was doing it. And for that, poor old Moses couldn't go into the land. We all have privileges, brothers and sisters, but we're not all going to go into the kingdom of, in, of God. Now, Moses will be in the kingdom of God unquestionably. Matter of fact, it, it could well be that he may be one of those on the Lord's right or left. Who knows? He'd be very, very great in the kingdom of God. Make no mistake about that. But he can't go into the land because there he stands typical of the lawgiver as a warning to those who think they can crucify the Son of God afresh, to quote chapter, Hebrews chapter 6 or Hebrews chapter 10, who will commit that willful sin and tread underfoot the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified. And so poor old Moses, for what we might consider a minor blemish in a wonderful life of 120 years, and we might think, brothers and sisters, the punishment doesn't fit the crime, and as far as we're concerned, it didn't, when you consider the, uh, the, the heinous crimes committed by the people, but you see, there was a principle involved. And God gave him a view of the land. And as he stood there, looking over from Nebo, seeing what no native eye could ever see, never could have seen what Moses saw on that day. I've stood there twice. No way in the wide world could, could, the, could the naked eye, the human eye, ever see what he saw. And Yahweh opened his vision enormously and gave him a magnificent vision of that land. And as he stood there, brothers and sisters, he warned Israel in these words. He said, Beware lest a root of bitterness springing up trouble. To quote Paul's words in Hebrews 12, quoting from the 29th chapter of Deuteronomy, verse 18, when Moses said, if there be a, lest there should be a root of bitterness, he said, which brings trouble. And he's just using his own example that as he was overcome and lost his temper, and a root of bitterness sprang up in him. Must we fetch water out of this rock, you rebel? 
and it sprang up trouble for poor Moses. And he warned the people about that. So we all have privileges. We all eat the spiritual meat and we all drink of the spiritual drink, but we may not all go into the kingdom. Pray God that everybody here will, but we don't know, brothers and sisters. But there's the warning, and the warning is to the strong. Here's the warning. The warning is to the strong. Now he says, look, in verse 5, with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And brothers and sisters, this word overthrown, catastronomy in the Greek, something like that, it may not sound exactly like that, but you can see where we get the English word catastrophe comes from that. And in the Greek, it literally means to be strewn along. They were strewn along in the wilderness. And you could almost follow Israel to the land by following the skeletons, the bones that were strewn along in the wilderness. And that's what happened, brothers and sisters, because people did not appreciate their privileges. And we've all got them. Nobody was left out. Nobody was left out. We've all got a Bible. And we all ought to be reading it, brothers and sisters. We all ought to be reading it. Now says Paul in verse 6, These things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now the word examples there is the Greek word tupos. And you can see where we get type from that. It really means to strike or to mark with a stamp as one would stamp into wax. And when you lift the, 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 the signet, as it were, the, the, te the, the template or whatever you're using, there exactly is the imprint. And you know, it's just so, so applicable to this Corinthian situation. It, look, it was amazing what was happening. And he gives four examples, brothers and sisters, four examples of, of what happened. He says, for example, there were idolaters, the second one, there were fornicators. The third one, there were people who tempted God. And the fourth one, there were murmurers. And the strong fitted those things like a hand in a glove. And he's about to tell them about them, brothers and sisters. And he says, listen, neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and to rose up to play. That's Exodus 32. And the word play in the Hebrew of Exodus 32 verse 6 is the Hebrew word for dance. The people rose up to eat and to drink and to dance. And that's what they were doing up there. But it's more than that. Let me tell you what happened. You know what happened? Moses is gone. And they said, uh, you know, as for this Moses, we want not what has become of him. Up, make us gods to take us back to Egypt. And poor old Aaron, he's in a dilemma. He's under enormous pressure ecclesially. He's a good man. He's the saint of Yahweh, we read in Psalm 106. And there's no way in the wide world that we could ever imagine that he made that golden calf as an idolatrous object. He did not intend that. And it's clear he didn't, because when he made it, he said, having made the golden bull, he said, this is a feast to the Lord. He did not make that as an idolatrous object. He did not mean it that way. Why then did he do it? Because you see, brothers and sisters, when they first came to Sinai, when Moses, before he ascended on the mount for the first time, this is what he did. He built an altar. He put 12 pillars around that altar. And he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Some of them were bulls, oxen, bulls. And he brought bread and wine. And he read the law and sprinkled some of the blood on the book and some of the blood on the people. Highly typical. Jesus is our altar. And around the memorial table were 12 pillars. Paul says the apostles in, in Galatians 2, he called them pillars. They had bread and wine on the table and they only accompanied burnt offerings and peace offerings and Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant. And there was a wonderful typical aspect here. Now Aaron knew that the, the oxen or the bullock 
was the main feature of that feast. And so in desperation to try and keep the people focused in the truth, focused in the truth, he made a golden calf. That was his intention. What he didn't understand was this, that the golden calf, brothers and sisters, was the god, was a, was the god Apis in Egypt. And when we went into the Cairo Museum with, a, with an Egyptian guide showing us around, and we came to this case where they had a golden calf, this is what the guide said, and he, did, he, he had no idea what the Bible meant. He said, here is the god Apis and the goddess Haktor, he said, and they are the gods of fun and dancing. Do you see what happened? There was a similarity in the worship. And what was meant by one to be symbolise true things was seen by the other to symbolise worldly things. Could that happen today? Well, let's just imagine this situation. I'll just take this one illustration. You could, you could multiply this a dozen times. We sing hymns. Most of the time, I would say, that in your ecclesia, you probably have an organ. An organ gives a certain sound, doesn't it? It's a sort of a sacred sound, I suppose. We've come to associate the sound of the organ with our hymns, and, and that's the orthodox way of doing it. Here at the Bible School, we have not an organ, we have a piano, which, which does, of course, quite well for us. But, but what if in your ecclesia you had a preponderance of young people, and you decided that you want them in the kingdom, and, and your motive is marvellous, and, and, and you want to try and keep these kids together and, and you want to thrill them with the word but you know that they live in a modern world and, and they perhaps see things a bit different so you might change the format somewhat. So you ask some of the kids to, to come up and, and accompany the hymns on their guitars. And, and the young people who might come up might have their, 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 you know, their, their jeans on their hips and their shirts hanging out and long hair and they're standing there saying, Jesus loves me, yes I know, how's the Bible, holy soul. Now, now, you mean that for good. Look at the signal you're giving those kids in that hall. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, they won't, they won't see that as you see it. And there'll be a clear message going out to your hall that it's okay to bring in the rhythm and the beat of the rock world and associate that with God and Jesus Christ and you'll finish up with a riot on your hands and bleed your heart because you never intended that. But you gave the wrong signal. And my father, in the truth, now Brother Perce Mansfield said to me on one occasion, he told me many wise things, I never forgot them, he used to make deliberate statements to, do, to me. And this is one of the statements he said. He said, John, it's not always what you say. It's what you signal. My word, that's true. And that situation was identical up there. Everything set up on that table looked like the memorial feast. And the strong brother never saw it that way until he got there. And when the priestesses came around and asked him, what would he like to eat? Oh, sir, what do you want? And these sensual women, scantily clad, and Brother John Hensley was telling me of his experience there, which I won't repeat because his wife might be here, and he nearly got into trouble there. And, and, and these sensual women, you know, coming right over the top of these chaps, and, and, and you know, all of a sudden their minds would think of something different, wouldn't it? But, but the circumstances seem to be the same as what would happen on a Sunday morning, but in vastly different. It was like a hand in a glove. Well, some of them committed fornication, we read in verse 8. Did that fit the Corinthian circumstance? Did it? Here's what happened. This time the quotation's from Numbers 25, when 23,000 fornicators lost their life. And how did they do it? What happened, brothers and sisters? They did it was because they were just simply worldly. 
But you see, oh no, it was ever so subtle. And this is the problem. And Brother David's been telling us this, trying to warn us about this. You know, we hear these things, it goes right over the top of our head. Honestly, brothers and sisters, nobody does anything about it. But believe me, Christ is coming. And you listen to this incident. Balaam comes along and he's going to get paid to curse Israel, but God won't let him. Puts words in his mouth, that he, opposite words that he doesn't want to say. And he can't get his money. And he's greedy. He ran greedily after the reward of Balaam. And so when he, when he finishes up and he, he, he cannot curse Israel, he's, he's lost his opportunity, but he, he wants that money. So he goes to Barak and he says, uh, I've got a scheme. I can't get around Yahweh's word, but I've got a scheme. I know how to get around these people. Do you? Yes, I do. How? He says, you know what your girls are like, don't you? The women of Moab, you know what your daughters are like. They're prostitutes, they're harlots. Get them to go over to the camp of Israel. Oh, but they, look, you know, because I'm paraphrasing the record, they, they won't fall for that. He said, get them to take a sacrifice. And they came over with sacrifices. They were religious. And the, and the record of Ex Numbers says uh, they came and offered their sacrifices to their idols. But Psalm 106 says they ate the sacrifices of the dead. And Israel saw these girls coming in, figure the situation up here, and they come in with a sacrificial meal. Everything's okay. They're interested in the truth. They're interested in the truth, my foot. And you know what happened, brothers and sisters? Zimri, the prince of Simeon, looks at this girl called Cosvi, who was a daughter of one of the princes of Moab, and she was a flash tart, and puts her on his arm, struts through the camp of Israel and the sight of everyone. Never mind about the religious aspect now. The lust of the flesh is inflamed with the most powerful passion in humankind and he's got this shapely piece with him and he goes into a tent and in the Hebrew, brothers and sisters, that tent into which he went was in the shape of a woman's body. Did you know that? The tent was actually shaped like her body so that everybody knew on the outside of that tent what was going on inside. Until Phineas pinned them to the ground with one spear thrust. So it'll tell you what was going on. And he pinned them together to the ground. And 23,000 people lost their lives because they got involved with prostitutes over a religious meal. That is exactly that situation. All these things happened unto them for types. You couldn't have got it tighter than this situation in Corinth. Paul's accuracy here is remarkable. And that's what happened, brothers and sisters, in this case. Uh, now he says, some of them tempted, some of them put to the test. What did they put to the test? They put the Bible to the test. Where did that happen? when they loathed this light bread. These were the strong brethren who, who knew everything. Now what happened in the case of Israel? They got manna from heaven. What is it, they said. Psalm 78 said it was the bread of the mighty ones. Angels food, the authorised version said, but it really means bread of the mighty ones. This feeds people who have mighty ones. People who will be strong for God. That's the food that God has given them. But it only appeals to those, brothers and sisters, with a certain appetite. And they had the manna. They had it first day. It was all right. Second day, it was okay. Third day, it was a bit of the same thing. And after that, they said, oh, for goodness sake, we'd like a change of diet. And then they began to remember the leeks and the gar garlic. Oh, and the onions and the fish and the cucumbers of Egypt, says Numbers 11. All the spicy things in life. And Paul was trying to tell these strong people to get down to the word in its proper sense. But with all their experience in the word, they'd come to the point, brothers and sisters, where they were despising the simple information he was giving them, weren't they? And they weren't going to listen to him. 
and they wanted the spicy things of this life. And Paul would say to them, look, brethren, why can't you eat at home? Or why don't, why don't you go to the market and buy a piece of meat, take it home and cook it? Oh, but Paul, you should go to this restaurant. Oh, you ought to see how they cook it. Oh, terrific. Beautiful place. That's not the point, is it, brothers and sisters? The simplicity of things of, of life uh, based upon the truth of God's word is, is food fair enough for anyone with a spiritual appetite. But no, no, no. We want to get out there. We, we want to go in the world with a, with a touch of spice about it. This is a dry old book, goodness me. Daily readings, you read this meaningless jargon. It, it, it's double Dutch to me. And it is, unless you open your mind to it. To the natural man, it's dry as dust. To the spiritual man, it's magnificent. Depends upon your attitude. And their attitude was not good enough to buy a bit of meat and help the poor weak brother in his, his weakness. Why can't I go to that restaurant? The food is beautiful. They cook it beautifully. And up they went, didn't they, brothers and sisters? And they were destroyed of serpents. The punishment for despising the manna was they, the serpents bit the people and much people of Israel died. And there's a thousand of them up there. With poison, brothers and sisters, so toxic that it has brought a strong man, says the Proverbs, to a piece of bread. The most powerful human passion the most deadly human passion. Strikes through the, the liver like a dart, says the proverb, and leaves the young man's blood and gore in the streets who follows that woman to the gates of hell. Well, it's all up there. And all because they'd got away from the real issues of this book and wanted something spicy in life. It fitted like a hand in a glove. And finally, the fourth one. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. And what does that refer to, brothers and sisters? That incident is in Numbers 14. Numbers 14, the two divine oaths of eternal, eternal things. As truly as I live, saith Yahweh, the whole earth shall be filled with my glory. So we can look forward, brothers and sisters, with supreme confidence that this earth will be the kingdom of God because it's sworn by a divine oath. And the other one, as truly as I live, your carcasses shall be strewn along in this wilderness. Inescapable conclusions. Sworn in by divine oath, eternal matters. We're either going to live eternally or die eternally. Numbers 14 is where that sin was committed. It was the first one committed, murmuring, and it was the last one. And were they murmuring? Can you imagine the grumblings in that ecclesia, brothers and sisters, as Paul was to show them that their so-called strength was weakness? You know what these factions do? Uh, when when the, there's factionalism in, in an ecclesia and, and the arranging brethren or wise brethren in the meeting try to deal with that, you know the murmuring that goes on and, and people will never see reason. They never will see reason. They'll always want to push their point of view and you're trying to tell them that despite their point of view that you could even agree with their point of view. But look at the ecclesia. Can't you, for the ecclesia's sake, for the ordinary brother and sister who's bleeding out there because they've got conscience about matters, can't you, for goodness sake, for Christ's sake, for God's sake, why can't we, brothers and sisters, bow to the wish of others when it doesn't matter to us? And imagine the murmuring that went on over that. And if they didn't repent of that attitude, they would be destroyed of the destroyer. And the Hebrew really means they would be destroyed with destruction. And that's what happened. Because Numbers 14 was the end of them. As truly as I live, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. And Jesus, commenting upon that, said, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead well David's dead Joshua's dead Moses is dead 
A lot of people in the Old Testament are dead, but they are dead. Oh, in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And that happened, brothers and sisters, not after 40 years. That happened after two years. And the next 38 years was spent wandering around the desert, hopeless, with no way back. Just two years. And here's Paul dealing with these people that if they persisted in that attitude, he says, look, all these things happened to them for examples and they are written, he said, for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age are come. Now they lived in a, in a climatic period of history. The Roman cloud was covering over Jerusalem and when Jerusalem fell, the shudder and the impact of the, of the destruction of Jerusalem shattered up the ecclesia. It went through the ecclesias uh, like, like a knife. It was to be a climatic period. But apart from that, brothers and sisters, what Paul is saying is that destruction happened when God said, enough is enough. And Paul said, you have come to the end of the age. Beware. And here was the warning, brothers and sisters, to the so-called strong. And he repeats his warning that all these things happen unto them for examples. And then looking at the strong brother, you know, the brother who said, I know. Look, Paul, let's face it. There's one God. Godness me, Paul. You're not going to tell me that we're going to give in to this creature here who thinks that an idol is something. What's he think, that God's a trinity? We know, Paul, that this is wrong. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. It's not talking about weak people. They never thought they stood at all. He's talking to strong people who thought they knew everything and who thought they had their lives in order, but they didn't. He said, you take heed lest you fall. And he explains what he means. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. Do you know that as strong as you think you are, you are susceptible to temptation as the weakest brother in the meeting. Do you know that? Are you aware of that, that temptation is common to man? Not to certain types of men, but to all men. You, you ought to be aware of that. But he says, God is faithful. Look, he says, God is faithful and he won't tempt you above that you're able to, that you, with a temptation that you're not able to bear, he said, but he'll make a way of escape that you, that you may be able to bear it. And you see, brothers and sisters, that, that, that people read that 13th verse and, and that, that is so misapplied. Oh, I've done it. Look, it's one of those verses in the Bible that's more misapplied than, than many others because brothers and sisters think what that means is that when you're in temptation and you stay there and you, you know, you're struggling, oh, please, I don't want to look or I don't want to do it and you, you know, oh, you, you're there and, and that God will let, let you go and 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 go but in the end he'll just rescue at the last minute when you can't bear it. No, brothers and sisters, nothing whatever to do with that. You see, it's got nothing to do with any enduring. God will provide a way of escape. If I stood here, and if I was a strong brother, and I thought I knew everything, and I do, and if I went up to the idol's temple and I'm saying, oh, come on, look, this, this meat off an under-idol. An idol is nothing in the world. And they say about these women up there, oh, strike, I, I know the Bible and I know that I can't look upon a woman with lust. I mean, that's a clear commandment. You don't have to be an Einstein to know that. So I go up there and this thing comes up and says, good evening, sir. <laughs> and I go, good evening. I'm not going to look at that woman. I'm not going to look at that woman. <laughs> and you see, the more I concentrate, the more woman she is. 
because the very power of concentration of my strength and I stay there the more I stay there the more I'm going to want to take that woman and I and the power of auto-suggestion is powerful now God will make a way of escape what is it? wherefore my dearly beloved flee from idolatry there's the door that says exit and up she comes and as soon as I see her (laughs) through that door that's the way that God has made brothers and sisters he hasn't made the way for me to stand here and say I won't I won't I won't I won't I won't he hasn't done that at all E-X-I-T get out and we know a man that did that we know a man that did that he was prime minister of Egypt or he was to become prime minister of Egypt and he was a handsome young man we're told he was very handsome and he was a lonely boy in a land of foreigners and a lot of Christadelphian boys away from home and Clesia would have been sore put to it wouldn't they when another man's wife came over to him and ran her hands down over his shoulders and up under his chin you're a gorgeous creature what did he do through that door like a rocket and so fast that he left his coat behind he did exactly what Paul said brothers and sisters don't parley with temptation God will not provide you a way to endure he will provide you a way to escape and the simple way to escape is don't go there and if you're there get out and that's the way brothers and sisters and we ought to heed that way and so let us therefore think if we think we stand if we think we stand well brethren and sisters take heed lest we fall